Hello, welcome to Optimal Care Pediatrics located in St. Lucie West. I'm Dr. Mondesi and with me today is Dr. Nikki from Palm Beach Pediatric Urology Group and we are going to be discussing um, some urological topics like bedwetting, circumcisions. Uh, feel free to send in any questions as we go along. So my first question for you is what is a pediatric urologist? Good question. I didn't know this until I was well into my medical training. Um, but we are basically surgeons of the urinary tract and the genital urinary tract. So that includes kidneys, bladder, the genitals of both girls and boys. Um, and it's generally congenital things, so stuff that kids are born with um, from birth up to age 18. We also treat a lot of non-surgical conditions like UTIs and stuff like that. Um, do you do general surgery? We do. So as part of our training, we do med school, of course, and then we do one to two years of general surgery, and then we complete a urology residency, and then we do additional surgical training just for kids. So all in all, it's about seven years of surgical training, two of which are dedicated exclusively to children. Yeah. yeah. And next question, what age is appropriate to start potty training? So that's a good question, and it's not a very simple answer because there's no like cutoff, um, and it's it varies by culture and race and background. There's a lot of kind of expectation that goes along with that, but in general, in North America, um, I would say about one quarter of kids are toilet trained by two, okay. like a minority, and most are trained by three. So I'd say about three years old is an average um, goal. Some parents, you know, like I said, depending on background, are very eager to toilet train early. Um, like, and there's a lot of pressure around that. And in general, we don't recommend forcing it. Um, for instance, like in some some areas, they might aim for 18 months, a year and a half oh. age, and that's kind of early. I mean, there are some cues that you can take from your child, like as to whether they're ready or not. Um, and so in general, I recommend waiting for those cues before kind of forcing it. What are some of those cues? Yeah, so, I mean, the first first things are, are they able to walk, manage their clothes, pull them up and down, kind of sit, obviously. Um, and then there's sensation. Like, are they appreciating the sensation of having to pee or having to poop? Um, can they tell the difference between the two? Can they verbalize that? Um, I would say those are the main kind of the, the first first kind of things that clue you in. Do they show an interest? Like, you know, just find that their their speech is progressing. And yeah, it kind of follows the rate of progression of speech if they're able to communicate really well. Right, then communication training is much easier. big thing of it. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. So, and then how common is bedwetting in older kids and teenagers? So that's also a good question. That's something we see very often. Um, so kind of as a general rule, we say about 15% of five-year-olds, about 5% of 10-year-olds, and then like 1% to 2% of 15-year-olds. So even teenagers, 1% to 2% is pretty high. Like that's 1% to 2 of 100 teenagers will have some bedwetting. Um, so it's often like an embarrassing topic, especially mm -hmm. for older kids, but I think it's important for parents and kids to know they're not alone. Um, we see it all day long in our office. And what strategies do you suggest to help keep a child dry at night? Yeah, so it depends on kind of the underlying 
issue. Um, sometimes it's more of a genetic factor. It's something that they'll grow out of. Mm -hmm. And in general, those kids have very good daytime habits. They don't have any other kind of comorbid <laughs> or other conditions. <clears throat> Sorry, aside from bedwetting. And other common conditions would be like ADHD, autism, um, but they don't have any other conditions. And did I mention a familial component? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's generally because there's um, a delay in making a hormone that tells us to pee less at night. Um, mm -hmm. So in those kids, um, you know, you either kind of give it the test of time and just let it run its course. But in general, it's kind of socially unacceptable. It's embarrassing. So you can avoid kind of caffeinated drinks or anything that enhances your own production or irritates the bladder. Mm -hmm. um, you can cut them off about an hour before bedtime. Some, some parents kind of cut them off very, very early, um, which is fine too, but you want to make sure they're hydrated. So you want to make sure that during the day they're drinking adequate fluids. Um, they pee immediately before bedtime. You're avoiding kind of anything that makes them sleep deeper, like okay. melatonin supplements. Sometimes warm milk is like a classic bedtime thing, like that supposedly releases melatonin, makes them sleep deeper. Um, they're bedwetting alarms, if you want to kind mm -hmm. of take a step up. Those are moisture alarms that detect when they're about to pee or when they're peeing mm -hmm. and synchronizes kind of the peeing with the wake up. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's medicines that we use sometimes. Okay. Yeah. And then how long do you have to stay on the medicines for? So in general, I like to see my patients dry for about six months before I start weaning them off. Mm -hmm. It's very common to kind of take two steps forward, one step back, and it kind of kills confidence. So I like to see a good period of time when they're dry, and then we kind of just start weaning it. You know, okay. there's no hard and fast rule. Um, How many weeks would you say to use for the bedwetting alarm? Oh, yeah. So it can take a while. Like, it can take, like, three months. Okay. And then, yeah, those those are great if the kid is motivated. So some kids, I'm sure you see this in your office, like, the parents totally exasperated. The kid was kind of, like, you know, a little bit embarrassed, but not enough to really make any meaningful changes. So I find that tends to happen around age 10. Okay. Like, they kind of get a little bit more embarrassed. Like, there's more social stuff, maybe mm -hmm. sleepovers, school trips. Um, so three months and the problem is that sometimes they're very deep sleepers and don't wake up to the alarm. So it's kind of like a family commitment, you know, somebody's got to hear the alarm, kind of get them up and say, go to the bathroom. It's more effective than random wake ups. A lot of parents do that. Like they'll say, oh, I wake them up at 1030 and at 230 and get them to the bathroom. Okay. That's more of like a random time to wake them up and as opposed to synchronizing it with the signal. I see. Of going to the bathroom, which in theory helps them recognize that signal and wake up to it. Okay. So. Okay. And what is the difference between primary enuresis and secondary enuresis? Um, so. I'd probably back up and tell us what enuresis yes. is. Right. Okay. That's a good point. See, so we take all this medical jargon for granted. So enuresis is our fancy way of saying bedwetting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and primary means they never really stopped wetting the bed. 
So generally we gain daytime continence and then nighttime continence. Some kids just never get nighttime continence and that would be primary. Secondary is there was a period of dryness um, and then they started wetting the bed. Um, sometimes there's like some other underlying thing that triggers that. Mm -hmm. um, like what? what would be a trigger? Right, so one of the most common things we see is poor daytime habits, super common. Kids are busy, they're easily distracted, they don't want to go to the bathroom, what a pain. So daytime holding, kind of avoiding the bathroom can create bladder irritability, which affects the bladder's ability to relax and hold. And over time that can make it kind of less capacious at night. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be one thing. Then there's other kind of medical conditions you don't want to miss, like diabetes, mm -hmm. making lots of pee, um, a neurogenic bladder, so some problem with the spinal cord that affects the nerves that control holding and peeing. Um, and so those are the top kind of red flag things. Okay. And so what age, average age, can yeah. we expect to stop seeing bad wetting? So... That's a tricky question. Yeah. If there's a family member that went to bed and that's super common, I say usually around that age. Okay. It kind of gives that particular family. So a, it can a be goal. like 14. It can. Absolutely. Right. We have right. 17 year olds that still went to bed, okay. you know? Um, definitely it can. Generally, the rate decreases by 15% per year. Okay. So, like one in six bedwetters each year. Just get better on their own. Okay. Yeah. With I like all your rules of thumb. Yeah, they're just kind Makes of easy to. I, I guess, and they're just yeah, broad and guidelines. But how can a family support a child who's bedwetting? Because I think it upsets yeah. the whole yeah. family, right? Everybody's yeah. got to get up and turn on lights yeah. and change the bedding, and you know, sometimes sure. people get grumpy. Yeah, I know. It's hard. It's like um, it's hard because. It's easy to feel annoyed as a parent or to feel like maybe they're lazy or they're like not doing something they're supposed to be doing that's causing this. Um, and then of course you're tired, you're sleep deprived, you on top of everything you have to do, you have to do more laundry um, and kids feel bad about mm -hmm. it. So I think maintaining like a positive outlook, remembering that it's not, it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. right? There are always little things you can tweak, but, you know, in general, if they, if they could, they would hold it, you know? Um, so I think being positive, positive reinforcements when they do have dry nights, you know, rewarding them for that. Um, getting them, I think, getting them involved, getting the kids involved in like the sheet washing and all of that helps. Um, you know, it's more of like a team effort. Right. You know, as opposed to you're doing this to me or, you know, creating all this work for me. Or... Right. It's difficult, though. Definitely there's some there's some drama and expectation around it. Yeah. Which doesn't help. Right. It doesn't make it better. Yeah. Right. So getting angry is not, help. it does not help. Right. And I can see how that would happen, you know, but it's not helpful for, for the problem that we're trying to fix. Sure. So what other conditions do you manage? Right, so all sorts of things. Um, so we deal with any kidney problems, okay? And the difference between us and a nephrologist um, are, 
it is kind of a simple way of thinking of it is anything you can see that's wrong with the kidney on ultrasound, let's say a cyst, a tumor, um, like hydronephrosis, which we can talk about, um, a stone, anything grossly abnormal with the kidney, we treat. Um, so, for instance, we might get referrals for blood in the urine, um, abnormal looking kidneys on ultrasound, hydronephrosis, kidney stones, in the bladder, UTIs are super common. Um, and then surgical problems like reflux, kidney reflux, kidney blockages. Um, and then of the genitals, we do hernias, um, unascended testicles, um, other problems, peeing, pain with peeing, abnormal pee stream, um, congenital problems with with penis developed or the female genitals developed. Um, problems after circumcisions. Mm -hmm. um, we do circumcisions, but also deal with complications of circumcisions from other doctors. Um, That's a whole lot. It's, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah it keeps, it, sure. keeps it interesting, for sure. And then, oh, you were going to tell us about hydronephrosis. Right, so that that's so common, especially now we're doing so many prenatal ultrasounds, we're often finding out about it before the baby's even born. And um, it's, it's helpful for the OBs to, I think, re refer them to us early on because there's a lot of anxiety around it. Is it, is it going to be this or that? Um, and it's nice to be prepared um, as, a, as an expecting mom. So that is when there is extra fluid retained within the kidney. So hydro is fluid, nephrosis is kidney. Um, and of course, it's not just fluid, it's urine, um, which is what the kidney makes. And that can be, if you think of it like plumbing, because there's a problem with the drainage in the system. So the fluid's being retained there because it can't get out properly. It could be because of kidney reflux, where pee from the bladder is refluxing back up to the kidney, which makes it look more full, because now it's accommodating pee from both the kidney and the bladder. Sometimes it just kind of looks like that without really being a problem. It's hard to know immediately which of those scenarios it is, which is why I think it's it's good to, once it's detected, kind of go over the options early. Um, I mean, you see newborns, for right. instance. We usually would like a newborn ultrasound because now we can scan the baby directly as opposed mm -hmm. to through mom and kind of make plans. In many cases, though, you know, it it eventually goes away without any surgical intervention, right. without any medicines, but you kind of have to evaluate it up front to know that. Um, yeah, we see it a lot, exactly what you say. Very, very yeah. common and creates a lot right. of anxiety. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Now talk to us about circumcisions. What are the risks, the benefits? Yeah. I always get questions with my parents. Sure. Should I do it? I know. It? It's, it's controversial. Mm -hmm. to, to tell you the truth. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, obviously you know this, they, they recommended doing it. Um, but there are pros and cons. You know, it's not wrong to not circumcise your boy. If that's your cultural background and kind of your, you know, whatever your belief structure is, there are some medical reasons to do it. Um, if your child has urinary tract infections or penis infections or some abnormality of the anatomy that makes them prone to infections or blockage, then it's it's worthwhile to do it. Um, otherwise, it's 
I, I tell patients it's a personal, it's a personal decision. Mm -hmm. They do want to do it. It's best to do it when they're little. Right. Less than three months old, we do them in our office under local anesthesia. That's with local numbing as opposed to putting them full out to sleep. Um, so the main risks are related to the procedure. So bleeding, infection, of course, there's some pain and discomfort. We do everything we can to make it as painless as possible, but a lot of times there is some pain and discomfort. Complications afterwards would be like adhesions, the skin sticks back or gets kind of entraps the head of the penis. One very common one that people don't talk about a lot is narrowing of pee hole, mm -hmm. neostenosis. Very common after a circumcision. Um, and then there's kind of very rare bad things like accidentally removing a portion of the penis or something like that. I have seen a few cases of that. Okay. Um, benefits are less UTIs, easier clean, um, you know, in endemic, AIDS endemic countries, STD transmission is less, for instance. So. Thank you, I like And then both sides. Uh, just right. two sides, yeah. And then when do you retract the foreskin on circumcised boys? Circumcised or uncircumcised? Circumcised. Okay, so, so. Like right after they come from the circ and then they say, uh, should so I be pulling this back? Yes. Or if they're uncircumcised, tell us both sides. So that's, okay, also. so that's actually a good question. Both are good questions. Um, the circumcised ones, some babies, their penis head just sinks into the skin around it. Even though they're circumcised, you still can't see the whole head. They're still circumcised, and they still get all the benefits of circumcision, but you do have to expose it. Now, you don't want to do it in the first two days after the circumcision because there's a risk of bleeding. And those newborn circumcisions, we seal the edges without any stitches. So if you were to kind of start retracting and pulling on it too much, you could open the edges. But after two days, it's pretty much sealed and there's virtually no damage you can do. I always tell patients whose kids kind of sinks in like that and covers the head, the only damage you can do is not pulling it back far enough. Um, the tendency is to want to leave it alone because they cry and it looks raw and I don't know if it's right, I don't want to ruin it, I want to hurt them. Um, but after the second day, so if the circus today, not tomorrow, the next day, mm -hmm. start pulling down and start greasing it up mm -hmm. to prevent adhesions and make sure you can, that it heals properly. Um, so and then the other part was for the uncircumcised right. boys, you know, when do we start pulling yeah. back? So for those ones, you never want to force it. In some cultures, they force it back very early, and it's very painful, and I worry that it really traumatizes mm -hmm. the boys, um, and then they don't want anybody touching it. They're very protective, so you never want to force it. Um, but you can gently, even from birth, just pull it back as far as it wants to go and clean whatever you can see. I always say clean it like you would clean his finger or his toe. Um, and then with time, ideally, it kind of gradually opens further and further. Um, so for most boys, it pulls back by age five, but if it hasn't and they've had no complications, I give it even a little bit longer. But you do, once the skin does pull back, you do need to pull it back and clean inside there because it'll get, it'll get gumpy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> oh, 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Sure. You presented us with so much good information. Thank you. This is fun. A lot of good questions. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I will post um, Dr. Nikki's contact info on the Optimal Care website and also, sorry, not on the Optimal Care website, on the Optimal Care Facebook page. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good afternoon.